I'm the Michelangelo of butt cracks. So his spidey senses were tingling then? His wolfy senses, yes. Jackson, my buddy, you're as wrong as you are handsome, sir. Which is very. We did a lot of wound enhancements for Team Wolf. Wound enhancing, I like that. <laughs> Just being able to find so much joy in Teen Wolf. Welcome to Return to Beacon Hills, a Teen Wolf Rewatch podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Clissa Mollis, and I'm joined by Kate Colvin and Will Wallace. Every week, we'll be watching and talking about the hit and TV series one episode at a time. And this week, we're talking about season two, episode three, Ice Pick. If you're watching Teen Wolf for the first time and you're worried about spoilers, have no fear. This podcast is broken up into two sections, Alpha and Beta. The Beta section is for first-timers who are just now finding this awesome series and don't want to be spoiled about what's to come. The second section, Alpha, is where we go full spoilers and talk about not just the current episode, but the entire Teen Wolf series as well as its place in the fandom. In the show notes of your podcast app of choice, you'll find time codes for the Alpha and Beta sections. If you'd like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon at RTBH Podcast. There, our Wolfie patrons will gain access to awesome exclusives like early access to episodes, full moon AMAs, the Beacon Hills Movie Club, where we watch and provide commentary for movies starring the amazing cast of Teen Wolf and featuring the work of our talented crew, as well as guest video interviews, and a monthly watch party. So head on over to patreon.com slash rtbhpodcast and join the pack. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at rtbhpodcast and Tumblr and TikTok at Return to Beacon Hills. If you'd like to ask us questions or offer suggestions for future topics to discuss, you can email us at returntobeaconhills at gmail.com. This week's episode is titled Ice Pick. It was written by Luke Passmore and directed by Tim Andrew. In it, Allison begins her training to become a leader among hunters, but she also tries to keep Scott from getting caught in the crossfire between the hunters and Derek's small but growing pack. Scott, Allison, Styles, and Lydia have a group hang at a skating rink, but the fun is marred when Lydia has a terrifying hallucination. Jackson blames Lydia for his immunity to the bite until a sudden burst of strength makes him question that immunity. Scott clashes not just with Derek and Isaac, but also with two new pack members, Erica and Boyd, two former social outcasts from Beacon Hills High. The battle lines between the hunters and the wolves grow even more stark. This week, our favorite quote was a conversation between Styles and Boyd. Styles says, have you seen the piece of crap Jeep that I drive? And Boyd says, you seen the piece of crap bus that I take? Love it. Pretty good love comeback. This, love this Boyd guy. <laughs> and we also have several honorable mentions. This was a very funny episode. Coach Finstock says, McCall, I don't know why, but your pain gives me a special kind of joy. Things teachers should not say to students, I believe. Yes. One entry in a very long book by Coach Finstock. <laughs> Our second honorable mention is also from Coach Finstock. He says, except for you, Greenberg, don't call me for anything. I'm not kidding. Don't call me. You shouldn't even have my number. I love that line so much. Oh. There's, there's just so much story in that one bit, in that one exchange, <laughs> right. there's a lot going on. That's like, that's an episode of television I would kind of like to see, but sadly we'll never get the chance to. That is Hemingway levels of concise storytelling. Exactly. One coach phone number, never dialed. Never dialed. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. I love that. Our next honorable mention is from Styles, who says, no, you're not backing out. Do you want to know why? Because you and Allison are obviously having quite a good time together. And you know who else wants to have a good time? Styles. Styles wants to have a good time. Many, many times. Several times in a row. In several different positions. Oh, oh Styles. styles. <laughs> <laughs> Next, we get an entry from Melissa McCall. 
she says, well, I swear I don't want to, but there's this team of lawyers in the back who would break my legs. And I don't know if you've seen my legs, but for a girl my age, they're still pretty hot. So what, in her late thirties, <laughs> I know, right? Like, for a girl my age. Exactly. They are hot though. So that part of that they, statement is accurate. Fantastic legs. And finally, another entry from Boyd, a new character already scoring pretty high here. I said 50 with the fur sound. Hear the difference? If you can't, I can demonstrate some other words with the pho sound. How funny. Once again, Teen Wolf is very adept at getting their jokes past the censors that wouldn't have made it past in the original version of the joke, but you just gotta just gotta tweak it slightly, just make it vague enough that they'll allow it. So this episode begins with Allison pumping gas at night when a young man starts eyeing her. And I know it's not the point of the scene, but her sweater looks like Freddy Krueger's sweater has been laundered too much and it's faded. That is what that sweater looks like. Well, he has killed a lot of kids. So lots of blood over the years. Lots of true. dry cleaning. That is true. Lots of dry cleaning. She is a high schooler played by a 20 something year old. Check the ID, sir. Do not be giving her the eye without knowing well, for sure. Uh, <laughs> she, she didn't even respond. So I'm you know sure he feels real good about himself. Um, She's a young woman pumping gas at night. Leave her alone, dude. Will doesn't know this drug. He doesn't. Ugh. He's over there like, oh, my feelings are hurt. And while she's over there being like, don't murder me, don't murder me, please don't murder me. It is true. I, I do not understand the plight of, of womankind. <laughs> Every man who crosses your path is a potential murderer. That's just mm-hmm. how it is. It's true, especially when you meet them at conventions and end up going to a diner in Hollywood with them. Anything could happen. <laughs> it's either murder or best friends for life. Those are the only options. My aunt was still pretty convinced after like four years of friendship that you might still go ahead and murder us. It's Schrodinger's cat, my dude. Schrodinger's cat. But before she has time to think about it too deeply, Allison finds herself kidnapped and tied to a chair opposite her father, also tied to a chair. An echoey voice asks her if she knows what happens if she were to be bitten. Whose voice is that? It's Derek's, clearly. Mm. Don't think so. Mm, sounds it, like it to me. I feel like it sounds like someone's voice through a Derek filter or like some, <laughs> like someone doing an impression of Derek, maybe. There's a Derek app for that. I, I wish there that. were a Derek app for that. I would download the shit out of that app. <laughs> but Allison panics until her father reveals that he's just playing a recording on his phone. So I guess Chris Argent has the Derek Hale voice app. The young man that Allison saw at the gas station joins him. It turns out he's another hunter. Chris was never kidnapped and neither was she. This was just part of a test, which itself was part of her training to become a hunter. You're such an asshole, dad. She'd say to him there. That was definitely the look on her face when she realizes what's going on. Just like if looks could kill. Yeah, I would definitely break his father of the year mug whenever I got home. On his face. (laughs) (laughs) His handsome face. Chris pulls out an arrow and asks if Allison knows why they use arrows to hunt werewolves. She says it's because they won't heal until it's taken out because she too watched Search for a Cure. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> but i mean neither neither would bullets right well so, i get if they have wolfsbane but well but like a regular bullet if it gets shot into your body i mean the the muscle doesn't heal around it like if you get shot in your leg or something it's not going to just heal and the bullet's still inside your body right i mean you know an arrow well, i get it's harder to do it's got that big you know broadhead on it so you're going to do a lot more damage pulling it out but i mean but bullets. i mean that has that has happened with humans you know where they've like healed around shrapnel and like you know bullet fragments and stuff so i feel like werewolves who have that enhanced healing factor might be able to heal around a bullet i mean it would suck later 
to have to go in and re-damage your flesh to get it out, but it does seem more likely that they'd be able to get back up and keep fi- keep fighting you. Plus, there's the possibility that a bullet could go right through someone, right? I mean, an arrow is more likely to actually get stuck inside them because of the shaft. I'll allow it. Chris asks if the arrow he's holding looks familiar, and it should. It's the arrow Allison shot into the hunter's leg when he went to the sheriff's station to kill Isaac. Allison asks whether it was Gerard's decision to kill Isaac, and Chris says it wasn't. Their family has a tradition. Because wars and violence have historically been started by men, it is the women of their family who make the final hard decisions. They train their sons to be soldiers and their daughters to be leaders. That's dope. I like that philosophy, even though I don't agree with the hunters at all. But also, I think it's really interesting that we find out in this scene, which Victoria is not even in, that it was Victoria's decision. Or I feel like that's the implication, right? That it was Victoria's decision whether to go ahead and kill Isaac. And that tracks. Oh, yeah. That feels like a thing that happened because, you know, last season, Kate does shoot Derek and Derek does undergo some harm at the hands of Chris, but the character that seemed most gung-ho about killing him no matter what he did was Victoria because she said that thing about like, if he's out during the full moon, catch him, cut him in half, end of story, have a cookie. Like, yeah. yeah. No, yeah, makes he sense. Is dead ass serious. Chris puts the arrow in Allison's hands, still bound behind the back of the chair, and lets her know that her training has officially begun. When Allison finally escapes, the young man from earlier congratulates her. She asks why, since it took her two and a half hours to get away. He says that when he did it, it took him three hours. And Allison actually cracks a little smile. So that was the right thing to say, my dude. Yeah. I look forward to him being a cool new character on this show. Yeah, that's going to work out super well. (laughs) As Allison drives off, the young hunter is attacked by the lizard monster creature that killed Leahy. I love that shot, though. Whenever you see, like, just the translucent nails at its side. They look so cool with the light coming through them. It's pretty cool. And that is the teaser. And it's awesome. Never skip the theme sequence. Even when we're doing this rewatch, we still watch that theme sequence, you guys. Yes. Yeah, I saw a tweet that said, I don't trust people who skip the Teen Wolf theme sequence. And I think that person's right. There are some theme sequences that I will skip, but not this one. Never. No, it's too good. Dino just destroyed this opening credits music and you have to listen to it every every single time because it gets you so pumped up for the episode. You do. You get so Mm -hmm. excited for it. And then in this episode, it goes from this really like badass music to this sort of like fun, happy music because it's gym class and Allison and Scott are rock climbing and rock climbing is fun. It is fun, actually. I love rock climbing. Yeah, that's something we never did in school. Yeah, Me either. Allison waits for Scott to catch up. He says he was admiring the view, looking meaningfully at that booty. She She says he should try admiring it from afar and climbs faster. But when she looks up, Scott has used his wolfy skills to climb up above her. She kicks his foot, sending him plummeting down towards the mat. Okay, I love that moment. This is pure Allison, that she's like... You know, because she very much is that, like, cutesy, sweet girlfriend and everything. And she also is the girl who, when you respond by showing off, will kick your foot off a rock climbing wall and enjoy herself as you fall 12, 15 feet to the mat. That is Allison right there. 100%. I love her expression of the whole, like, oops, did I do that? (laughs) But also being super pleased with herself. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I like how Crystal played that. It's very cool. 
Next up are Styles and Erica, a frazzled looking girl who looks daunted by the wall. I know that they reveal that she has a medical condition, but does that medical condition prevent her from brushing her hair? No, no, it's because frizzy hair is the quick visual way of telling the audience that a character is frazzled. Yeah, it's a little bit of like a, you know where we're going with this, right? Like, (laughs) yeah, you know she's hot, we know she's hot, but we're all going to pretend she's not for like the duration of the time where she has the frizzy hair. Yes, it's Mm. just like, just for the next five minutes, just believe she's unattractive. Just, you know, we're we're good there. The attractiveness is coming. Just calm down. They should have done the makeup that they did on Annalyn McCord when she was in Excision. Because, like, she's hot, but I didn't have to pretend anything when she was in Excision. It was like, oh, shit, okay. I don't know who that makeup artist was, but they deserve all of the awards. While Erica struggles, Styles gets up and down the wall quickly. Yeah, does anyone else have doubts that Styles could have done that so easily without falling? Yes, yes very much. <laughs> like they kind of just the the camera's like lingering on Erica and then it kind of tilts down and it's like, "Oh, there's Styles. He's already up and back down the wall." And I was like, "Really? Yeah. This kid?" It's- yeah, it's this. That's the problem is you're like you're putting you're trying to introduce a new character who's going to struggle with something, but you're also putting her in a scene with another character who's incredibly clumsy, and it's like, well, one of them has to be, you know, you know, he has to like forego that clumsiness for the moment to then show that she is super daunted by the wall because there are no other characters. Although, <laughs> I mean, it could have been Lydia. Yeah, I mean, I, we could have had. Lydia. I absolutely think it could have been Lydia, and then I feel like what they could have done if they wanted to include Styles in that sequence is like have him say Styles first. Styles trips on his way to the mat, and he's like, "Never mind, Lydia, you do it." And then Lydia is, you know, sort of examining her nails. And then, like, gets up and down the wall in a moment. And they're like, what? They're like, damn, girl. How? How'd you do this? And she's like, "Um, physics. There you go. Yes. Coach is like, Styles, Styles, you're up. And everybody just looks over. He's just rolling around, wrapped up already, like, in the the, the rope (laughs) he's in or something. (laughs) So, but, yeah. that that, I I think that would have been better. That would have been more fun. I would have really liked to have seen Lydia Lydia climbing it. Because, yeah, we don't really get that kind of stuff from her. Yeah. yeah. Erica starts panicking on the wall. Coach wonders whether it's vertigo. But Lydia laughingly explains that vertigo is a dysfunction of the vestibular system of the inner ear, whereas Erica is just freaking out. You're smart, Lydia, but don't be a bitch. <laughs> yeah, come on. We don't have to like mean girl all the time, especially when someone's clearly struggling. Yeah, like it's okay to say no, coach. I don't think it's that. I think she's just upset. She didn't have to like be laughing at her yeah it's like don't you remember last season when everyone kind of gave you the eye when you came back after your experience and by last season i mean two episodes ago i was gonna say that was this season (laughs) (laughs) well i feel like that's the reason though i feel like she's of the opinion that she can just get over that stuff and everyone else should too everyone just needs like a thicker skin because that's Mm. what she's created and, you know, everyone would be better off if they're more like her. You're right. Everyone, yes. She's like, that, everyone that, needs to have thicker, beautiful skin like mine. <laughs> but that makes perfect sense because in that scene where she's first coming back after being in the hospital and Allison's sort of like, are you okay? And sort of treating her with kid gloves and Lydia cannot tolerate that. Yeah. So mm-hmm. she's like, 
uh, well, my aunt's not a serial killer. So, <laughs> and then Alice is kind of like, damn, okay. Yeah, right, you know, bitch. but but that that makes sense that Lydia's kind of like, no, I'm just going to walk right in there with my head high. And so should you. That's Lydia. If she can do it, everyone can do it. Allison, actually being helpful, points out that Erica is epileptic and it might not be safe for her to climb. Coach demands why no one tells him these things. They should tell him these things. Uh, Coach, did you read the release forms they had to sign? (laughs) That's probably accurate. Yeah, it's like, come on, buddy. Well, finally, Erica manages to kick off the wall and come back down while her peers laugh at her. I know teenagers suck, but just having been one, uh, I feel (laughs) like no one would have actually been this invested in laughing at her during gym class. I was kind of thinking that too, partially because I feel like there actually would have been multiple people in that class who would get up there and then be like, oh, because when you're rock climbing, you don't realize how high up you're getting a lot of times until the first time you look down, or at least that was my experience. And I think other people that I've talked to who've gone rock climbing experience that too, at least the first few times, if it's an easier wall and you're just kind of climbing and climbing the first time you look down, it's like, when did that happen? (laughs) Yeah. After class, Coach tells the students that if anyone sees Isaac Leahy, who is still on the run, to call the principal, a teacher, or coach himself, except for Greenberg, who shouldn't even have his number. But does have his number, you guys. There's still a story there. Style says that Isaac is Derek's problem now. Which is a little rude, but I love Style's stud muffin shirt in this scene. Yeah, which they have him change out of it behind a locker door because they are cruel and unusual in their punishment of fans. Huh. But I love that shirt so much. It's my favorite, I feel like, of his graphic tease. Scott is worried with everything that's going on that maybe they should cancel their plans for tonight. But Styles objects, except before they can argue, Scott senses that something is wrong. So his spidey senses were tingling then? His wolfy senses, yes. Scott rushes back out into the gym just in time to see Erica having a seizure on the climbing wall. He catches her before she can hit the ground. I'm definitely glad that Scott was there to catch her so she wasn't hurt worse. But I feel so badly because she was trying to have a Mulan moment. She went back to that wall. She meaningfully put her hair up and was like, I'm going to make this wall my bitch. But she is not. And it is very sad. I know. I did love that for her. Yeah. It's weird to me how all the other students rushed back out there too. Did they like see Scott on the move and they're like, Scott McCall, interesting things happen wherever he goes. So let's follow. <laughs> they're not wrong. No, they're, they're not wrong, but it looks better having a crowd of people around, especially since later in this episode, uh, Erica describes what it's like seeing herself on someone's cell phone video, having a seizure. So it's just, you know, a visual reinforcement of the ridiculing she talks about later. Well, but we've already had that once, like two seconds ago. True, but more visual representation of ridiculing is always better. I don't know. (laughs) Erica winds up in the hospital with Melissa, who comments that she hadn't seen Erica in a while because Erica had been so good about taking her medication. Mama McCall in the house. (laughs) The only person who works at Beacon Hills Hospital. Yep. All day, every day. (laughs) Erica asks Melissa whether her mom has to know, and Melissa says that unfortunately she does. If Melissa tried to withhold that information, the lawyers would break her legs, and her legs are pretty hot for a girl her age, which can confirm, as we mentioned earlier. Everyone loves Mama McCall. She's the absolute best. Like, just the best. But yeah, I really love her in the scene, and her just, like, putting Erica at ease. Actually, 
you know, I really love anytime we get to see someone who's really, really good at their job, because I feel mm-hmm. like a lot of times for television shows and stuff, when there's all sorts of other things going on, they are still employed, but they're never actually doing their job. And right. yeah, I feel like this is a nice sense of like, not only is she good at the medical side of it, but she also has really nice bedside manner, which is what right. nurses are all about. And there's something just interesting about seeing someone in their element, like watching her mm-hmm. at work, we can absolutely see this is someone who was born to be a medical professional. She's good at every part of the job. While Erica waits for the doctor, Derek comes in and gives her a very provocative sales pitch on the idea of becoming a werewolf. Okay, I hate this scene. Hard concur. So many people do, but I don't actually mind it. It's it's just too out of character for Derek. See, that's actually why I think it kind of makes sense. He doesn't know how to be an alpha. He's putting on a persona here because he doesn't know what the f*** he's doing. Being someone else that he knows people like, like, you know, he's being charming and sexy and he knows that that works on people. And I just feel like, yeah, that's what's happening here. Should he be using it on a 17-year-old? No, but I mean, I feel like Derek doesn't actually have a gauge for that. I mean, as we know from the first season, he was seduced and used by Kate. So I don't feel like he would ever do that, actually go that far uh, to get what he wants. But I feel like it might be hard for him to turn off that instinct of like, it's fine to pretend that I'm like the sexy older person to get them to like me. Yeah, I... I, I have seen people say, I don't think it's so much that he's trying to seduce her as he's trying to say, you can feel as confident as I'm pretending to feel right now. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, I, I like do, I can kind of see that a little bit more. I still hate this scene, but I, I could have an easier time buying that He's not trying to seduce her. He's actually just being like, you too could be this confident (laughs) and love yourself. And it comes off weird because it's not true. Yeah. Or not that she couldn't feel that way, but that he doesn't really feel that way. Yeah. I could buy a version of this scene if it wasn't with someone who had serious medical conditions, who was in a hospital gown on a hospital bed in a hospital that like if she didn't have the epilepsy and all that, but earlier we saw her like try and ask a boy out and she's kind of frazzled and stutters through it and all this. And she tries, but he kind of like laughs in her face or something like that. And then Derek comes and is, and kind of does the exact same thing to be like, if, if I give you the bite, you can then have all the confidence you need to ask out anyone you want or something like that. Like, I guess make the two things equal to each I, other. I do wonder, could there be a connector there that we just don't see? Because if Eric- The Teen Wolf way. Yeah, no, but really. If Derek was eavesdropping on Melissa and Erica in that scene, Melissa said the thing about how like, oh, for a long time you were being really good about taking your medication. And that's why Erica doesn't want her mom to find out what happened mm-hmm. because she didn't take her medication. And when Derek comes in and talks to Erica, he's reading the side effects on the pill bottle and saying- there's weight gain and acne and I feel like insomnia or something there was on there. So there's like multiple things that just generally make her life harder. And so maybe they're trying to say that he put that together, that it was like, yeah, she didn't take her medication because she was like, these side effects, it's not worth it. Yeah. I just, it's just the, like the leg caressing. I know. The the pull it, the, the, the sexy pull towards, I'm just like, not, not in a hospital gown, buddy. I hate it. I'm just, mm, not these things. 
in science class, Matt asks what Jackson did to crack the lens on his camera. Jackson says to send him a bill. He's too distracted by the video they're watching about immunity. A small exposure to an otherwise deadly virus can create immunity. That's how vaccination works. This makes Jackson come up with a theory. After class, he accosts Lydia in the hallway, insisting that whatever soul-killing substance is running through her veins caused him to develop an immunity to the bite. Sexually transmitted immunity, the worst. Ah, Jackson, immunity doesn't work like a disease. It doesn't, it doesn't spread the way a disease does. If it did, this COVID shit would have been easier. Absolutely. Jackson, my buddy, you're as wrong as you are handsome, sir. Which is very. Very. Very, very wrong, very handsome. Very on both counts. Lydia proceeds to lock herself in a bathroom stall to cry. Poor Lydia. Why is everyone so mean to her? I mean, okay, sometimes she can be pretty mean, too. So that might be partially yeah, why. Yeah, you did kind of say that a couple scenes ago. Yeah, and I stand by it, but I still feel for her. While she's there, she sees a man's feet lurking outside the stall. When she comes out, she sees a man looking in a trophy case. He disappears out the door before she can catch up to him. Inside the trophy case, she sees a trophy with Peter Hale's name on it. Apparently, he was the captain of the basketball team, not co-captain. They probably hadn't invented those yet. That's some new shit, like where they're giving everybody medals and they're like... (laughs) Five team captains and everybody gets a ribbon just for participating. Millennials. Yep. In the cafeteria, Styles approaches a student named Boyd who sits alone at one of the tables. After some unsuccessful haggling, Styles gives Boyd $50 in exchange for the keys to the ice skating rink where Boyd works. Styles takes the keys back to Scott for the plans tonight just before everyone is distracted by Erica sauntering into the cafeteria looking hot as hell. So hot. Damn. Okay. All right. Erica, you could have looked like that at any time, right? I mean, I get, you know, confidence is is very important to, you know, looking good. You know, you got to believe in yourself or other people to believe in you type of thing. But my and, God, but just the, come on. In, in the earlier scene with Derek, though, he did say that her medication causes weight gain and acne. So I think they're saying that her body shape, she likes more now and her skin is clear. Her one pimple did go away. Well, that's TV. They use shorthand. One zit and unbrushed hair. Done. I think they put slight padding on Boyd too to act like his body was also different after the bite. I think I read somewhere that the script in the business, it described him as being overweight, which like footage not found. But yeah, I think like, you know, a lot of times before a season starts, they release like some character descriptions for new supporting characters that have come out during casting, like whenever they release like sides and just like whatever the casting calls for. And I feel like that description was in there. After being sufficiently seen, Erica walks right out of the school and into Derek's car. Derek grins at Scott and Styles and drives away. I like how she walked into school just for that. She absolutely did. Well, I mean, as you know, on this show, people walk into the school and then right out of school again just to have dialogue exchanges. I really like the idea of Erica being like, hey, can you can you drop me at school? Have me walk through the school looking hot and then I could just come back out and we could talk about more werewolf stuff. And he's like, you got it. Yeah, I'll just circle the lot and be right back. <laughs> yeah, come back out when you're ready. But make sure Scott and Styles follow you out, especially Styles. I mean, so he can what? see me. In my awesome car. I look so cool. cool. I have friends. I definitely have friends. At the animal clinic after school, Scott breaks a glass, his mind elsewhere. He says that everything seems to be slipping through his fingers lately. Scott's been fond of metaphors this season. It's because he's actually showing up for English class. Oh, yeah. 
Dr. Deaton suggests maybe that's just entropy at work. Scott thinks this might be a good time to have that conversation in quotes they've been putting off. But instead of talking about the werewolf in the room, Deaton brings up the tabled conversation of Scott's pay. Scott is sufficiently distracted by his raise of $2.50 an hour. I don't blame you, Scott. Pay raises would get anybody's attention in this economy. Absolutely. As Allison and Lydia get ready for their night out, Chris checks in on them. Allison lies, saying they'll be just studying together. She asks Chris if he expects her to stop hanging out with Lydia because of the bite. But on the contrary, he wants Allison to keep a close eye on Lydia to make sure that there's nothing unusual happening with her. He wants her to spy on Lydia? Chris says, keep an eye on her as a friend. But the way spies do it. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, I feel like for story reasons, the hunters have to seem like they don't know what they're doing here. And I don't like it. Yeah, because it's like they know for a fact she was bitten. And it's like, so, okay, they've been doing this for, what, 400 years or something? And they just don't have any data on what can happen? Right. It's like she was bit, I'm thinking, a week ago at least at this point, and nothing's happened. And like Scott, which we saw in the previous season, in the pilot the next day, like he's undergoing changes, you know, and there's no way Lydia would be able to keep this from Allison, you know? So it's just like, come on story. (laughs) I feel like they kind of had to do the same thing with Derek and his knowing about certain werewolf things too, even though he was raised a werewolf. Yeah. Although I do feel like at least to me, it stands out more with the hunters because it makes sense that the hunters would be more systematic about things, you know, because they're I, yeah, go, yeah, they're specifically trying to catalog and prevent the spread of this. Whereas it seemed like Derek didn't even know very many bitten wolves, if any, because he says repeatedly, like, I don't know how this works with bitten wolves, but with born wolves, like it sounds like his family were either born human or born wolves. Like yeah. his mom wasn't just going around biting people like turning people yeah so i guess i just feel like i can understand it a little bit more with him because he's just coming from this family context and it doesn't sound like a situation where his mom was trying to train him to be an alpha which makes sense because he wasn't the oldest right if if his mom had been going around just biting people would her name have been namia hale moving on Yep. Let's let's move right along here. I think Lydia wouldn't have minded Chris keeping a closer eye on her if we recall her comments from season one. I do. And her her body language mostly where she's just like, hey, Mr. Argent, reclining on the bed. 100% DILF material. Yep. Using the keys he got from Boyd, Styles opens up the ice skating rink for a private outing for himself Lydia, Allison, and Scott. I would have liked to have seen Allison convincing Lydia to do this. Is this meant to be like a double date? It feels like a double date. Absolutely feels like a double date. This is because it's like alone. It's intimate. You know, it's like they got into a place where people aren't supposed to be at this time. It'd be different if like they were just all eating at the food court. At the <laughs> mall. You know, that's like, but like. Lydia Styles is very romantic. You can catch some of the curly fries just falling out. Oh, oh God. 
I, w- I would have liked to see that scene too, because I think you're right. I think it was Allison, maybe even still low-key guilt tripping her about the whole Jackson thing and being like, okay, I know I said I'd forgive you after you went to the dance with Styles, but one more time because I want to have a group hang. And mm-hmm. Lydia's like, it's a double date, Allison. I sent you that link to Urban Dictionary for a reason. (laughs) But I also wonder if like she was more willing to do it because of her earlier interaction with Jackson and him being like such a douche to her. Not that Jackson would necessarily be jealous of Styles, but just the fact that she's out just having fun whenever he clearly just wants her to be miserable. Yeah, Yeah. I could I could see that. It's more for it's more to boost Lydia. It's like, hey, this, you know. Right. And and I don't even see, at least, it doesn't seem like from the way she's talking to Styles that she's like trying to make him feel shitty. It seems like, like you said, that she is going to try to have fun to distract herself from the other stuff that's going on and just seeing it as like a fun thing between friends. Also, Allison was like, he's got Reese cups. And she was like, sign me up, baby. (laughs) You should have opened with that. Yeah, she'd have led with that. When Lydia gets cold, Styles offers her an orange scarf, water I mean, I fabric. Could really tell what it was. I it looked like not, a giant T-shirt to me. I, I, but it, it had was, like whenever I looked at it closer, it looked like it had like frizz, like kind of like, like fuzzy, fringe. Yeah, yeah, fringe, fuzzy ends. Yeah. Huh. So Styles offers the orange scarf in question in quotes to Lydia and she says that orange and blue don't go together a hard disagree on that uh style says that sometimes two things that don't seem to fit together end up being a perfect combination implying the two of them as a couple but she thinks he's talking about Allison and Scott despite Derek not being in the scene this is the Derek moment of this episode because fans take the orange and blue comment as a callback to when Miguel tried on Styles's orange and blue striped shirt yeah, I, I have seen a lot of discussion of that, that it's like a very subtle callback to that scene because it's the only orange and blue striped shirt anyone in the world has ever seen <laughs> due to <laughs> due to Lydia not being the only person of that opinion that orange and blue do not go together. So like it's the only orange and blue garment I remember seeing on a TV show ever. So they were like, oh my God, it's secretly a steric thing that like he thinks it's about Lydia, but really it's about Derek and Styles and how they're two things that it seems like wouldn't go together. Styles gets very offended by Lydia saying that orange blue do not go together because it's the color of the Mets. And I wonder if Dylan ad-libbed this or if it was the writers put it in there because of his very open, very vocal love of the Mets. I didn't know that. Me either. I was just thinking- You're not on his Twitter page, are you? It's all about hating Trump and loving Mets. Beautiful, beautiful page. I did not know that. I can get behind one of those. What I, you love the Mets too? No, I do. um, What what really kind of grabbed my attention was, is she wearing blue? Because she's wearing like a green dress and green earrings. So when she was like, "Uh, I'm wearing blue, orange and blue don't go together. I mean, orange and green also don't really go together. But I was like, Lydia, you're wearing green. Am I just colorblind? I wonder if like her tights are blue, but I still feel like it's weird to wear blue tights with a green dress and overall, like, like you said, the rest of it's a green ensemble. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Fashion. Yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Exactly. Well, 
I love the very blatant Reese cup product placement here, but I feel like this is also something that Styles would have been doing ever since like elementary school. This is some Stidia headcan out there for our Stidia fans. I feel like Styles is the type of person who would have been like, as like even a small kid with a crush would have been like bringing Reese cups and different like candies and like small toys and then like trying to give them to Lydia during like recess or lunch or whatever. Find out what she likes. Yeah. Allison offers to give Scott some pointers since he's never been ice skating before, but he declines and promptly falls on his face again and again. I love this bit. I love it so much. I love it. It's so cute. And like just the timing of him being like, yeah, it'll be fine. I'm a werewolf. Yeah. And then the way he like just falls right to the side and the the shot of Allison sort of skating backwards to help him. And he's got his arms out and his little booty poking out the other way, trying to get <laughs> his <laughs> trying to get his bearings. It's so adorable. Yeah, it's great. Good thing he heals. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like he was trying to rely on his wolfy grace and it did not work out. Yeah. yeah. First Styles was really great at rock climbing and now he's skating without falling. I am shook. I expected so much flailing to be happening. I guess they could only have one of them be bad at skating. Yeah, I'm I'm more disappointed. I mean, I loved the the bit with Scott, but I kind of wanted them, yeah, to show Styles flailing about. I don't even necessarily feel like it had to be that he was bad at skating. I feel like it should have just been that he flails but never falls. And, you know, then there could be a beat of like Allison and Lydia watching him sort of lurch from place to place on the ice, but never actually falling and just be like, it shouldn't work, but it does. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like that a lot. Also, we never get any comment on it, but clearly Lydia was like a little figure skater in her younger years. Yeah. Well, she's just naturally good at everything. Yeah. She wrote her once and she's like, I got it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Allison and Scott take some cutesy pictures in the photo booth, but Scott's eyes have a lens flare and all but the one where he has them closed. I also love this bit where they both make their little rar face to the camera. They've got their little, like, their fingers in a claw shape, and they're like, grr, it's so adorable. <laughs> it's great. It's totally cute. They have some really adorable moments in this episode. I kind of also like how there's the bit where Allison looks at the one picture where he had his eyes closed, and she's like, oh, this one's normal. I I mean, uh, uh, I didn't mean for that to sound so werewolf racist. And then Scott's like, <laughs> it's fine, babe. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. I wonder if this if if this little photo booth scene is a reference to Superman, because in one of the Superman films, Clark Kent changes into Superman in a photo booth and then takes the strip of pictures away from a child before the child can see them. And so I wonder if, if that's a thing, because I know Jeff really likes Superman. Hmm. Yeah. The more you know. Uh, As they're in the photo booth, Lydia follows a trail of purple petals on the ice. It leads her to a blooming flower, Wolfsbane, coming right up through the ice. She sees Peter Hale under the ice and she begins to scream. I wonder what Styles is doing during this. This is like everything he's ever dreamed of. I highly doubt he would have like left her side at all. Yeah, Yeah, it it is kind of weird. He just disappears. But I, I love Lydia's scream, though. She gives good scream. I don't as much care for the visual effect that they use for Peter under the ice where his head is like going all crazy and Mm -hmm. in super fast motion. I just feel like that visual effect is so overused in horror at this point. Yeah, it kind of is. But I do love Lydia following the petals. It's a really beautiful lead into the horror. I agree. It's great. 
That that part looks great. Later at school, Scott confronts Erica, telling her that he knows Derek needs a third beta, I guess because three is the magical number for werewolves. Erica tells him- <laughs> Erica tells him that she had no idea what she looked like when she had a seizure until someone recorded it to mock her. Now look at her, she tells him. While she flirts with him, Allison sees. Scott pushes her away. Harder, daddy. I mean, what? <laughs> she definitely has a little bit of that going when he grabs her wrist. She's like, oh. Yeah. Okay. However, Scott is kind of being a dick here. Like, okay, maybe it's a disability thing and I'm projecting and over-identifying with Erica. I don't know. But obviously people give Derek a lot of shit for his communication and persuasion style. And rightly so. But... Scott was trying to convince her of something here. He wanted something from her. And when she tried to tell him about this awful thing that happened to her that made her want to be a werewolf, he directly says, I don't care. Yes. But I mean, all right, to be a little bit on Scott's side, I think all he's thinking about is the knowledge that hunters are out to kill wolves and he just doesn't want anyone to die. But that's why he was so critical uh, to Derek about for like all of season one, right? Is that Derek doesn't want to hear about his problems. He's just really focused on that bottom line of, I don't want you to get killed or get other people killed. You know, that he keeps warning Scott, if you if you do this, someone's going to die. And Scott basically thinks Derek's mean and he won't listen to my problems. And then that's precisely what Scott proceeds to do when he's trying to get information from Erica. Oh, okay, valid. But maybe now he's just taking it to the extreme with everything going on. And Derek is left wondering why Scott didn't feel this way like a month ago. <laughs> yeah. I love the fast pace of Teen Wolf, but I feel like this is the problem with the events of season two taking place like a month after the events of season one. Scott seems to have all this growth, but it was just a few weeks ago that we saw him taking all of these risks because it sued him. He wanted to play lacrosse. He wanted to date Allison. He's still dating Allison whenever he shouldn't be. Right. But now he wants to lecture Derek and the betas about responsibility and danger. No one knows the danger of the hunters more than Derek. And he's already told Scott that he had informed consent when he bit Isaac. He told Isaac about the hunters and everything else. And Isaac still wanted the bite. He's not going around biting random people like Peter was. Right. Sure. And I, I, I kind of feel like the way it plays in this episode, it doesn't even fully feel that believable that... Scott's number one priority is no one else getting killed because if that were his priority he would stop dating Allison because he knows that that's a major trigger for the hunters right sometimes literally <laughs> um, <laughs> yes you know that that causes tension between them when tension already exists it inflames these tensions and he knows that and Derek has pointed that out just in case he didn't and Scott does know that, you know, so it kind of feels a little bit like Allison's point that he doesn't want to get caught in the crossfire. And I don't think he wants people to die. I just feel like he's still a little bit behaving selfishly instead of thinking about why Erica and Isaac felt so desperate that they would want to be werewolves, even understanding the danger of hunters and wolfsbane bullets and yeah. things like that. Like, Things do have to be pretty miserable for you to hear. There will be a bunch of people that will want to shoot you in the face and have you st still say, okay, but I want to do the thing anyway. Yeah. Well, I mean, technically Jackson feels that way, but I feel like it's very different, you know? And I understand him being like a dick towards Jackson because it's like, Jackson, you don't need this. Right. You have everything going for you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry that you feel inadequate, but 
he does actually have everything. He has right. his looks. He has money. He has a supportive talent. Yeah, he has talent. He seems to have a supportive family. And it's just, he just wants to be the very best. And that's not what was happening for Isaac Boyd and Erica. Right. And and I mean, yeah, I feel like Scott needs to like kind of open his mind to like the fact like there are other people besides him who have issues like yeah he had asthma and he got better and stuff but like yeah he didn't actually need to be a werewolf and he didn't ask for it and I feel like yeah given the choice he didn't need to take it but he really needs to realize other people weren't as lucky he was a slight outcast but it wasn't like what Isaac and Erica were going through yeah it's like Jackson wants more Isaac and Erica want the baseline Right. They're right. like, I mean, granted, they're getting more than the baseline, but it's like they are working at a deficit emotionally. And it's exactly. like they just want to be even emotionally with everyone else. And Jackson is like, I I'm already there. I I have to have more than that. So that's right. yeah. And I feel like that is what Derek dislikes about Jackson so much that because he pretty much says to Jackson's face, you have everything. People mm-hmm. just don't like you because you're an asshole. <laughs> yeah. You know, like you have all the things, you're attractive, you're rich, you have everything you could possibly want and you still want more. Like Erica and Isaac, Derek wants them in his pack because they're people who also benefit from the power that they're building in this pack together. And I think that is what he wants. I feel like there's some, also probably some part of him that's projecting a little bit and he's like, oh, I'll just find some like sad, lonely teenagers and I'll make their lives better and everything will be okay. Yeah. Victoria finds a love note from Scott among Allison's belongings, which leads her to walk calmly into the kitchen, take out a kitchen knife, and slice her arm open. Okay, guys, if we could just have a moment of silence for the crazy, please. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Okay. Uh, I love how we get no context here, just none whatsoever. It's like, hmm, I found a love note. I'm walking into the kitchen. I have a knife. Oh God, now the knife is slicing her arm open. It's just like, we have no idea. Like, what are we doing here, Victoria? Yeah, it's great. I love this. And I know y'all are going to roll your eyes at this, but in shows like Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad, they don't often provide context for things. You just see characters doing something and then you figure it out, like why they have done this thing. So I love it so much that she's just like, has this note and she's like mm, yes and folds it up puts it back and just walks in and cuts her arm open and you're just like what and then in, and then you get it right you know and then we're going to know what this is i mean it's crazy my god but still it's it's just when you put it together you're like okay i understand it now but i, I love that i like not always having context for stuff and then having to figure it out and learn what's going on. But the crazy, my God, it's up to 11. So Victoria goes to the hospital to get her arm stitched up by Mama McCall to try and see what information she has about Scott and Allison. Melissa does express her surprise that Scott is not more heartbroken about the breakup. Quote, unquote, breakup. Quote, unquote. Now, do you guys think that she had to go in and request uh, Melissa there or do you think she just already knew that Melissa was the only person who works here well what we don't see is uh, between her finding the note and cutting herself was Victoria learning Melissa's schedule and strategically deciding when to cut herself to then go to the hospital or she's manipulating Melissa's schedule like Paula oh, yes. and crazy ex-girlfriend <laughs> She's like, I control when Valencia teaches yoga class. I control yoga class schedules now. There's no limit to where my reach is. 
At lunch, <laughs> Allison and Scott talk about the betas. Allison says she knows Erica is, quote, with Derek now, like Isaac, end quote. Allison warns that Scott can't be caught in the middle because it feels like the battle lines are being drawn. Isaac is with Derek. I feel like he should be with us. That's why I imagine <laughs> Allison saying, because Allison, Scott, Isaac are my OT3. Same. They they are a perfect little romantic Triskelion. <laughs> also, whose fault is it that a war is brewing? I mean, werewolves should be allowed to make other werewolves because they're dope. Especially, okay, obviously I'm not at all saying it's okay to bite people without their consent. But Derek does have informed consent. And like, if the hunters would stop being dicks about everything, I feel like things would go a lot more smoothly. I mean, it's not the hunter code. (laughs) Peter sucks, but everything that happened in season one comes from the hunters killing innocent werewolves. Like that is where that initially stemmed from. Yeah. You know, like most of the problems that happen in Beacon Hills, even when they involve supernaturals, at least from what we've seen so far, a big part of the cause is what humans have done to the supernaturals. Yes. Styles points out to Scott that Boyd isn't at school today, making them believe that he is the third beta that Derek will take. The whole point with Boyd is that he was a loner with no friends, but now Scott and Styles know exactly where he sits every day and notice when he's not around. I think it's because they got something from him. Like, yeah. I feel like if this had happened earlier before they did the whole thing with the ice skating rink, I don't think they would have noticed. But then it was like, hey, where's that guy who gave us the keys so we could have that awesome group hang question mark or double date question mark but i feel like that's why which brings me to my next point maybe it would be more effective for scott just to be more empathetic to his peers i mean if if he tried to make an effort to you know befriend boyd or support erica when she's talking about the stuff that she's gone through. I don't know. I feel like that would be a more effective way to persuade them to work with him and give him the information that he wants. I mean, so much of what happens with those three comes from they were all three suffering and usually to some degree in plain sight, but no one paid attention or noticed except Derek. Yeah. And Styles reminds Scott that Derek is giving the teens a choice as to if they want the bite or not. Thank you. Styles gets it. Oh, yeah. Consent, buddy. Consent. Their body, their choice, Scott. Their hips, their choice. (laughs) Scott says it's his responsibility. Knowing that Scott's mind won't be changed, Styles says, I'm with you, because he always is. Styles' loyalty obviously lies with Scott, but I feel like he agrees a lot more with Derek when it comes down to things. He just kind of has to give away because it's like, I have to stand by Scott, and this is what Scott feels. And I have to wonder if he would have wanted... Derek dead as much in season one if not for Scott like I feel like I have to wonder if Scott was just going around being like oh my god Derek's saying he's gonna kill me and Derek's being so mean to me and blah 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 this Derek's doing this or that that that's true because when they're having the well it's not FaceTime but basically Skype or something that conversation in in season one you know inquiry time (laughs) it's inquiry time uh their signal gets interrupted so styles isn't able to hear what Derek actually says to scott what Derek says to scott is 
if you insist on doing this thing that's going to result in someone getting killed, I'm going to kill you to prevent that. Yeah. He doesn't just say, Scott, I'm going to kill you no matter what you do. He's like, you can't go play lacrosse. You're going to murder someone. Then you're going to get murdered. Possibly your family will also get murdered. And if you push me to the point where it's killing you or that happens, I'll kill you. But I feel like filtered through Scott, it was probably just, and then he broke in and said, I'm going to kill you because <laughs> I like no reason something. <laughs> For no reason at all. I was yeah. just minding my own business. But, but you're, the world. you're kind of right. I mean, like when Derek says, stay away from Allison, Styles is also like, maybe you shouldn't go on the date with Allison. Like maybe yeah. that's a bad idea. And Derek and Styles are definitely the kind to make a cost benefit analysis instead of saying like, well, no matter what we don't do X, they're kind of more pragmatic, like, okay, but if the alternative is just a bunch of people dying, then you do whatever you have to do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love that Styles is just with Scott. You know, it's great. It's great loyalty. Um, do people do people ship Scott and Styles? I mean, is there a ship name for that? Would it be like 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 Stott? <laughs> it's Styles. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, that's much better. And that's a stupid question because everyone is shipped with so like everyone else. Like every ship exists. Oh, I'm sure. Everyone. I'm and sure. this is a good scene to talk about that in because Styles says the thing about oh, Scott, this newfound heroism is making me very attracted to you. Do you want to just make out a little bit just to see how it feels? Or no? Another <laughs> one of those beautiful bye moments. Beautiful bye moment. Files all the way. Files. Jackson shows up at the Hale house looking for Derek, but instead finds Chris and other hunters. Chris reminds Jackson that his life is already perfect and he shouldn't complicate it by going after something like the bite. I feel like whenever Jackson is having a little freak out here, he's like, why won't the bite take? Doesn't it know I'm just perfect? It has to take. How dare it? Why doesn't it want to be in me? <laughs> also, did anyone else notice that uh, Hunter Hinchman wearing the very obnoxious leather duster? I did. Come on, guy. Come on. One person can pull off a leather duster, and that person is Spike from Buffy. No one else. Well, that 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 Hunter Hinchman is clearly a big Buffy fan. Peter tried it last season. It's like, okay, girl, you tried it. Let's let it go. <laughs> Styles heads to Boyd's house, but Erica is waiting for him. When her seduction technique seems to fail, she hits him over the head with a piece of the Jeep's engine. Okay, did any of y'all notice that in one shot, she has this giant piece of like machinery in her hand. And then in the other shot, when she's struck him in the head, she has like, looks like a coaster or something in her hand. I don't know what's going on there. Really? Yeah. It's like a completely different thing. I absolutely did not because I was too busy looking at Dylan O'Brien's expression as Styles like slides down after being hit. Yeah. yeah. Poor Styles. I hope she leaves him somewhere safe and warm. <laughs> at the animal clinic, Deaton responds to an alarm and finds Chris Argent waiting for him with a body that's been torn to shreds. Argent needs his opinion and knows that Deaton is more than just a vet. Okay, did like a lawnmower kill this guy? <laughs> I mean, what? you have no idea how disappointed I was whenever I finally watched Lawnmower Man and it's not a man that just carries around a lawnmower killing people. How did Chris know that he's not just a vet? Chris knows everything. I'll tell you how, because Scott surely told Allison because he can't keep his trap shut when it comes <laughs> to Allison. And then those two are not great at keeping things secret. So I have to assume that her dad either heard her or she slipped up and said something. 
Yeah, they they don't have very good resolve when it comes to point. secret keeping. So That's not true. great when you're trying to have an illicit affair behind people's backs, <laughs> children. But I just love that Deaton shows up and, and Chris is like, I need your I need information from you. Deaton's a little hesitant, but he's like, but you asked politely and you're very handsome. So I will. Well, he's spent a lot of time in the werewolf community. And as we all know, politeness is very important in the werewolf community. That is very important in the werewolf community. We've established that thoroughly. I don't understand this ongoing joke that Kate and Will have, but okay, guys. I don't even remember where it came from, but I'm not letting go of it. I don't remember either. (laughs) That was years ago. (laughs) Scott finds Boyd running the Zamboni at the skating rink. He wants to make sure Boyd knows the truth about the dangers that come with being a werewolf. Boyd's reason for wanting the bite is that he doesn't want to be alone anymore. He wants friends. Scott tells Boyd he could do a lot better than Derek. Derek says everyone he's bitten is better off than Isaac and Erica attack Scott. They kind of are better off. At least, you know, we don't know emotionally, but at least superficially, they are better off. You know, like this is... No, Isaac is definitely better off emotionally. I don't know about Erica, but I just don't know Isaac how much is... wolf therapy he's been through yet. Scott makes short work of Isaac and Erica and then faces off with Derek, who in turn makes short work of him. Scott tries one last time to get Boyd to reconsider and not be like Derek in his new pack. I just want to say that I really love this little fight scene and I love the music in it. And I know for a fact that Alyssa Clark suggested the music that plays in this scene. She's a big fan of the band Woodkit and the song is called Iron. I really don't like how Scott tells Isaac and Erica that they're basically just Derek's guard dogs. Like, f*** you, Scott. At least he didn't be like, all for y'all just to be his pets? (laughs) God damn it, Scott! We've had this discussion so many times. But it just feels very shitty. And like, they're not going after Scott to be dicks like scott showed up to get in their business and basically made it clear that he wasn't going to let Derek bite boyd and they were like well he wants to get bitten so i guess this is happening yeah scott should have been such a nosy nancy yeah (laughs) exactly um i really like how Derek's transformation looks here like when he does the the twitches with his shoulders and neck it looks so good Yeah, it's a fantastic transformation. I actually think he doesn't transform in those shots. I think all you get are teeth, but I I still think it looks amazing. I think it's implied transformation happening. Mm -hmm. It's implied all through the the motion and the sound. And it's so simple and easy. Like, Like you don't do anything and you just add some sound effects to it. And it looks great. He's very good at the physicality of the body change. It's It's great. Well, I, I remember at one of the conventions where when we were working, Tyler Hecklin said that when he was little, he had tics, like mm-hmm. muscle tics. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so he would like have these like sudden muscle twitches and that, you know, when he was a kid, understandably, he was very self-conscious about them because they were really noticeable. But then when he started doing that on Teen Wolf, it kind of felt like, oh, I got to use this for something, you know, this, yeah. this thing that used to have to be. He ended up, I guess, growing out of them. Yeah. But I thought that was kind of a cool story. It is cool. I love Tyler Hecklin so much. He is the best. Protect him at all costs. <laughs> He's <laughs> Superman. He can world. protect himself. <laughs> yeah, totally true. I feel like Derek's been wanting to kick Scott's ass like this since season one. I mean, I've low-key been wanting to do that since season one. 
<laughs> like, okay, okay, I understand that I can be very much, as Calissa put it, a Derek apologist, and <laughs> I will go ahead and own up to that. But just sometimes Scott can be kind of an asshole. You're not wrong. I feel like Boyd's just sitting there during all of this, though, like, oh, I'm definitely going to have to quit this job. The ice is all broken. There's blood on it. I'm not cleaning that up. <laughs> At the end of this fight is where I actually think it's made clear that Derek didn't necessarily want to fight Scott because as soon as Scott lands on his back, he's pretty much like, okay, now stay down and stop being a dick. Yeah. Instead of being like, ah, I'm going to pummel you. It was like, are are we good? Can you just go and, you know, let these people make decisions for themselves now? Yeah. This is the werewolf equivalent of a squirt bottle. (laughs) Right. Stop it. (laughs) At the end of all that, Boyd reveals that he's already been bitten and tells Scott that he wants to be more like him. But shouldn't Scott have been able to tell that he'd already been bitten? I think he just knows the scent of a new wolf and there's already two of them right there. His nose isn't that good yet. Doesn't know nuance. The situation is a lot more nuanced than that. How many crazy ex-girlfriend jokes can you fit in this episode, Kate? I got crazy ex-girlfriend jokes for days, dude. Styles emerges unceremoniously from a dumpster where Erica had thrown him away. Aww. <laughs> I feel like this is just a weird shot. We don't see him doing anything else. It's not like he rejoins Scott or he has any other interactions with the betas. I feel like this is just to confirm to audiences that he was only mildly concussed and not dead. Probably. I think you're right. That and really just to make Erica's feelings clear. Throw away the whole classmate. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. At the animal clinic, Scott learns from Deaton that his wounds aren't healing the way they normally do because he's been slashed by an alpha. And Deaton thinks it's finally time that they had that talk. The birds and the bees. Yeah. You see, Scott, when an alpha loves a human very much, they say, show me your hip. (laughs) On the lacrosse field, Jackson works out his anger by lobbing balls through a target hoop. Over and over, he throws until he quits in frustration. He tries to drive off, but his truck is stuck in the mud. He attempts to push it out, but only falls in the mud, which makes him angrier. Finally, he snaps and lifts the truck up off the ground, surprising himself. And he smiles, knowing maybe the bite did take after all. That is really cool, but I just have one question from this scene. Um, When did Jackson get a truck? Uh... Russell didn't want him using his Porsche anymore for okay. season one. Yeah. That, okay. is, that is probably what it was. Okay. Yeah. I just feel like Jackson doesn't seem like the type of guy to be in a truck. He just doesn't doesn't read truck guy. Uh, it's not about being practical. It's just about looking cool. Big trucks look cool. Ergo, Jackson looks cool. <laughs> er. That feels very much like a Midwest thing. Maybe or I'm southern. biased. Or Southern. Uh, but like, you know, being from the Midwest, like that's definitely not like a California thing. If it was in the South, he there'd be a giant uh, pair of testicles hanging. I was going to say. <laughs> uh, I feel like Jackson seems like the type to be into slick sports cars, like you know his Porsche, Lamborghini, things like that. If it was yeah. me now, he'd have a Tesla. <laughs> he yeah. likes flashy, not big. Yeah. He knows the size of his cock. I do think you're right, though. I think it is this just that uh, Russell was tired of not being able to drive his car anymore. But also what just occurred to me was I think having product placement could be a thing. But also I think it looks better if he's lifting a big truck and not his Porsche. (laughs) Anyone can lift a Porsche. Yeah, exactly. Anyone can lift a Porsche, but not everybody can lift, you know, giant f-350 or something like that so but i mean it's still cool and it's a great way to end this episode because 
apparently the bite did take, but Jackson didn't transform on the full moon. So weird. Hmm. Hmm. All right, Wolfies, that wraps up the beta section for Ice Pick. And now we're about to dive into spoilers, not just for this episode, but for the whole Teen Wolf series. If you want to stay spoilers free for all the excellent stories to come, jump out now and we'll see you next week. But if this isn't your first time at Beacon Hills and you want to hear more, don't move a muscle. Here comes the alpha. There's always crossfire. What am I supposed to do? I can't just stand by. I can't pretend to be normal. I don't want you to be normal. I want you to be alive. All right, Wolfies. Now we're going to jump over to our interview with John Gross, the visual effects supervisor for Teen Wolf. Let's have a listen. All right. So, John, how did you get into the visual effects side of filmmaking? Well, I uh, it started back in Minnesota where I was living and I was working for a swimming pool company. And I was just sort of, you know, first or second year in college working for this company. It was a family owned business. And I knew I wasn't going to raise up anymore unless somebody died. And so (laughs) I, uh, you know, I borrowed 2,500 bucks from my folks to buy an Amiga computer. This was, I think, like 1990, I want to say. Yeah. And uh, Amiga computer is one of the first graphic computers out there. And I decided I was going to teach myself computer graphics. Mm -hmm. And within a year or two, I had sort of transitioned working for a company that sold a product called the Video Toaster, which was the card that went in the Amiga computer. And they kind of called it the studio in a box. And one of the coolest things on it that I found was a program called Lightwave 3D, which was a... You know, I, I couldn't draw it all, but I could think in 3D. And this thing had a little stage built in with a camera and lights, and you could position them and put in CG objects. And I, I fell in love. And I knew, like, that's what I wanted to do. So I sort of became the default lightweight guru. I had my own column in the Video Toaster magazine. And I went out to the company that made it uh, called NewTek. And mm-hmm. they had me come out and beta test. And, and then in the early 90s, like late 92, they uh, were going to be doing, uh, providing Lightwave for a show called Sequest, which was just starting up. So they flew me out there to train the artists how to use Lightwave. And, you know, I got there and after a week or so, they said, so you want to just come on out here and work? I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll do that. So I came out and worked on Sequest for the first few years of uh, my Hollywood uh, intro, I guess. That's so cool. Yeah, it was so much fun. John, what's the weirdest thing you ever had to do with Lightwave? For a Voyager episode, we had to paint out Chakotay's butt crack because <laughs> he was going on a vision quest. And he, I think they had him in those super tight pants that make you look like you're nude. But but you could see like his, his butt crack. So we had to paint it out to like make it blurry. It's, you know, stuff like that happens okay. all the time. Um, Go ahead, Will. <laughs> no, no, I had nothing. nothing. You don't want to talk about like the crack or anything. <laughs> I was absolutely thinking about, you know, so it'd be like, how was work today? It'd be like, great. I, I painted a butt crack. That was what I did. I am the Michelangelo of butt cracks. Is there anything particularly to Teen Wolf that fans might be surprised to find out was visual effects? I would say there's probably a few different things. I think mostly the set extensions, like we shot at, I think it's called Blue Cloud Ranch, and they had this, just a little tiny section that was sort of a doorway and a little bit above that. And it was supposed to be a Mexican church. 
So we built the whole church around what was basically a doorway. And same for the inside. They, we shot, like from up on a hill, we shot a couple actors coming in the door. And then we added the whole inside of the church. Oh, so wow. it's things like that where, you know, there's another one where Derek used to live in the, the penthouse. And there were all these stairs that were supposed to go up to it. So mm-hmm. there's this shot that we had to extend the stairs down 10 floors or something like that. And it's really just what was built on set was four stairs going up to the door. You know, so it's things like that that I think look fairly real. Or even on, I think it's the last episode where there's that kid werewolf that was being chased by hunters mm-hmm. through like puddles and stuff. And the whole look of that day, that was shot on a couple different days. And the weather was different on the two days. One was sunnier, one was gloomier. And they wanted sort of a... Uh, sunsetty sky you know and so we had to like change all the sky we rotoed everything out and made the sky a sunset and added reflections to puddles and things like that uh-huh. where that kind of stuff you never really think about as like visual effects yeah yeah definitely not that's so incredible to learn about like yeah the attention to detail like even like the reflections in the puddle so how did teen wolf come into your life so i had a salesperson working for me and he had some contacts at mtv And somehow he got Joe and Russell and Jeff to come visit. And we just sat around and talked and I showed them some stuff. They asked some questions. Then they disappeared for a day or two. And then Russell called me up one day and asked me how I would shoot certain things. And it was basically for the pilot. It was Scott bounding off of trees Mm -hmm. and stuff that they wanted to do. And uh, he just basically kind of asked me a bunch of questions. And then a few days later, they said, okay, I think we want you guys to do the pilot. And I don't know if they were ever really like sure, like if it was going to work out. But then one day uh, there's a scene where Scott's in the woods and the deer's bound out and he drops his inhaler. And those were all CG deer. You can't get real deer to do that. And they're dangerous. And so we showed them some early tests of that. And I remember after that, I looked outside and Russell and Jeff were out there talking and smiling. And I walked out and they were going, you sold us. That's, that's the thing. Awesome. So, you know, ever since then, it's like we, we did all the effects for all the episodes. That's awesome. Yeah. Really incredible. That's so cool. What was that process like of figuring out what, how you were going to do the alpha for the pilot. We did the alpha actually a couple of times because they, they came back and we did some reshoots and, you know, once the pilot was picked up, then we went back and changed some things to make it better. And in the original, it was sort of like a Jaws moment. He just wanted to see like some glowing eyes. We don't want to really see anything else. And uh, so we did that. And then later on, they decided they wanted to see a little more and I, and I think we ended up with something jumping over the log to bite Scott, I think is how it worked out. Yeah, yeah. something like that, yeah. Yeah, and, and I mean, even the shot where he's like out on the highway and you look down and the bite marks and the blood, that was all CG as well. Like all the oh, blood. Wow. I mean, they had a little bit of practical, but we had to augment the practical with bleeding. Oh, that's so, I never, I just was like, oh, well, someone just, that's an appliance and blood. Yeah, oh, we, that's we that's so lot. cool. We did a lot of wound enhancements for Teen Wolf. Like, you know, somebody might get shot in the head and, you know, blood would drip out. And because you can only do so much with practical and sometimes it gets dried under the lights or there's not enough or there's a from shot to shot because they maybe shot it on two different days or before and after lunch or something. There's different amounts of blood and, it you know, so a lot of 
wound augments. Wound enhancing. I like that. <laughs> and and the alpha wasn't really decked out for a few episodes because they built a costume, um, but like that wasn't built for the pilot. That wasn't built for. You know, I don't know when the first time we saw that. That was maybe four or five episodes in. But I, I think like 107 Night School is kind of when you get the mm-hmm. the costume, like in some shots and, you know, you know yeah. very quick shots and then augmented with with y'all's wonderful work. But I think I think we hold back until Night School before we even show right. anything. So, yeah. And yeah. there's a scene in that where he's in the gym and he looks up and he howls and they shot the guy in the rubber suit doing that. And I, and I remember because he had white tennis shoes on because we were, we were going to replace his. And uh, it ended up, the, the, the suit didn't look good. So we ended up actually painting him out and doing that all CG. Oh, wow. 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 So when it comes to something like the scene with the deer, how do you approach uh, visual effects to make sure it's something that will hold up over time? Sometimes you can't because you don't have the time to do it. And I think a perfect example of that is the CG beast from season five. I was, I was never quite happy with the beast because, you know, you're turning around a show every week or two. And, you know, some of those episodes had a couple hundred shots and there's just so much you can do so fast with like full CG. So the idea was to always kind of hide it as much as you can, but sometimes you have to see the whole thing and, and things like that. Like when I look back in that now, 10 years later, uh, you know, it's, it's like, mm, that doesn't hold up so well. The deer, I think, hold up pretty well. because They do. Yeah. And yeah. that's, I think, because we had time on the pilot. Mm-hmm. You know, we probably were able to work on the pilot for eight, nine weeks, maybe, or something like that. So, but, and, and the pilot was maybe 50 to 60 shots. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, the end of season five with the Beast was 250 shots. So, you know, and it's like, you know, okay, you got to turn this around in like three weeks. So yeah. you do the best you can. And, you know, with the technology you have at the time. Yeah. You mentioned the beast and my absolute favorite visual effect shot for the entire series is when it's like broad daylight and he's walking through the snow and transforming. And that was, there's that, that that's so awesome. And just not what you expect, I think, from a, a werewolf transformation, because We've all seen, you know, American Werewolf in London and stuff hey. on our show where it's like the body changing, but then it's like all this smoke and stuff. It's like this completely opposite thing of what you think of a transformation. It's, right. it's, mm-hmm. yeah, those, those shots were fun. <laughs> I, I also really like the demon wolf transformation. And I think mm-hmm. season three, maybe with yeah, 3A. And it's like they're in the barn and he's slowly walking and talking and he's transforming into the demon wolf. And while he's talking, so we're, you know, we're replacing his face with a CG face over time and having to match his lips and then the eyes go at the end. And that I always like that shot, too. That's good. Y'all did good work. Yeah. Do you have a favorite Teen Wolf creature? I like um, I kind of like the alpha from the first season, especially at the end, like in the last episode where Scott's fighting Peter and like you see, like he gets hit and you see Peter's face sort of transform for a little bit. Love that yeah, shot. I love really that like, shot. And those shots, I think, hold up really well, oh. too. Oh, yeah. Incredible. And part yeah. of that was because those those were shoots we redid, uh, reshot, and I was I was able to be there because first and second season shot in Atlanta and we were in L.A. So I wasn't there hardly ever. Oh, actually, I never went to Atlanta. We sent one person once. 
But uh, those reshots were done and I was there and was able to talk to Ian and kind of told him what we were thinking of doing. And so his reactions and the way he moves and like moves his face just really helped that kind of stuff. So when, when you can be there and walk the actors through what they need to do to help the visual effects work, it's, you know, those really work well. That's awesome. If there wasn't anyone from the, from the effects company out there, like, I mean, were they even putting down like tracking markers? and stuff uh, or I would get a lot of calls and like hey John we're thinking of shooting it this way what do you think and so I would I would talk to them about how best to shoot it and okay they did pretty well and you know at times it's just like just do it and we'll we'll make it work you it's know and it's like things with like all the canama stuff and the canama on the ceiling and all that stuff was shot with nobody out there to, to oh wait a minute did or did we shoot that here some of it was here. I remember for the season yeah, two. Actually, I think yeah. the Canama on the ceiling we shot here and I was there for that. But all the other the other the other Canama stuff, like, you know, when we would shoot and there's no tail, we would just like, you know what, we'll just make it work. You know, there's enough on the suit itself to track to and you know, and, and then we had a CG version of the Canama also for shots that, you know, we didn't have a person in there. Right. So much work, yeah. but so cool. So if you could be any Teen Wolf creature, what would you be? I sort of like the the guy that had the chameleon powers where he would oh, like- yeah. Right, yeah. Wall. Season five, yeah. Yeah, that was kind of cool. But, you know, in the end, I'd probably want to be a wolf, I think. <laughs> Keep it classic. Yeah. yeah. When you were able to work with the actors a little bit and be on set, like how how exactly were you- you know, like, like what direction or were you giving them to be like, Hey, this is what we're doing. So here's how you kind of need to move like with David Elson as the Canama, or like you were saying with Ian as, as Peter and getting punched in the face and knowing that you're going to do this ripple effect across his face. Like how are you talking to the actors when it comes to that stuff like that? So good. So good. I, I would basically tell them what was going to happen and sort of try to get them to envision what we are going to do in the future. And like Tyler was really good at that. Tyler Posey was always good at that. There's a scene where um, I think it was season three or where they're driving along and they're in Lydia's Prius and they run into the deer and uh, yeah. they smash the deer. And so they had they had a Prius that they smashed the front and smashed the glass. And then uh, and then Scott was supposed to touch the deer on the hood and the deer is all CG. So I was there and I just told Tyler to like, all right, imagine the deer is going to be here. It's going to, its head is going to be here. It's going to be smashed through the windshield. You're going to touch it. It's, you know, give it about a foot between the top of the, the top of the hood and the, and the thing, and it should be good. You know, and so he's, so they, they get it and they, they figure out what to do. And, you know, it just works out. Another one was the, uh, the twins, Max and Charlie Carver. Like they had to do this thing where they transformed into this twin alpha that basically turned into a monster alpha. And, and so I had to like talk them through like how they, what it was going to be and how to move and like push themselves into each other's back and stuff like that. So that's cool. That transformation is really interesting. And I especially love the shot where they're, their spines are coming together and they're kind of like rippling yeah. and they're, it's like human zippers where like two, <laughs> two spines are, are yeah. sort of coming into one spine. That, that part looks so cool. Yeah. And all that was Jeff Davis basically saying, this is how I want it to come together. It's like, you know, and then we, we did a couple tests and say, you know, is it like this? Is it like this? And Jeffy would even draw me photo, uh, pictures of what he kind of envisioned. How many people worked on your team for Teen Wolf? 
at the smallest, we had probably about eight or nine. And at the largest, I'm going to guess about 16 or so in between, mm -hmm. you know, mostly artists, a producer and a coordinator. Um, and then I was usually the one that would, once they were back in LA, I was the one that went out on set all the time. I remember talking with you on set, John, you might remember this horrible incident. It was when the guy in the tank in season five, when doing that process of him regenerating and turning into Pete Plotchick, but I lost the cap of your Apple pencil. And to this day, I feel really bad about that. I think, um, didn't, you, didn't you buy me a new one? Or? Yes. Yeah, yeah, I thought so, yeah. <laughs> I felt so bad. I just felt really bad. <laughs> but that was... I looked for that thing for a long time because the floor was so dirty. Like it, it was like wet and yeah. like the art department had done everything and it looked like so gross and it wasn't really gross, but it was just like, it's awful. But it was just, it was great seeing you work. Cause you know, like when they're setting up shots and they've got the guy, it wasn't, you know, it's Pete Plotchick by the end, but then it's a stunt actor with all the, the goop and all that on. And, and y'all are figuring out like what the angle is. And it's like, well, this is, he's going to transform in this shot. So like, how does yeah. it work with him moving forward and in and out of shadow? And that was fun to watch. Cause that's like, how the sausage is made that you don't really, when you watch this final beautiful shot, you're like, that's amazing. And you're like, well, that took hours yeah. like on set. And then with artists back at, at the effects house doing all this stuff. And it's so interesting seeing how all that worked. Yeah. Those yeah. are crazy times. Is there a type of creature or monster that you've never created, but would really like to create using CGI? Maybe like a Kaiju or something. We, we haven't really done any, any of those. That'd be fun. Yeah, yeah that'd, that'd be, be cool. cool. Yeah, that would be a lot of fun. A, a Bigfoot, perhaps? <laughs> Will's a, obsessed. A Bigfoot, maybe. Will's obsessed with, with Bigfoot. So. A kaiju would be fun. Just a giant, tentacly monster destroying buildings would be. Will also loves we don't need to. We don't need to talk about that part. Um, <laughs> moving on. <clears throat> moving on. What was your process when you would get like a new Teen Wolf script to figure out the best way to implement any visual effects that would be needed in that particular episode? First, we would usually get an outline of it. So that's when I would go and start talking to artists and say, okay, this is what they want to do coming up in, you know, episode five or whatever. And we we kind of run the beats and we sort of brainstorm on how to, how to do it. Then we'd get a script and then I'd do a breakdown of the script. You read it through, you mark everything. I would usually come into the studio and sit down with the first AD and uh, Joe and, you know, the director and the DP and the stunt man you know, or the stunt coordinator and make, maybe makeup effects people. And we talk about initial stuff. Then, you know, a few days later, we'd have a production meeting where everybody's at and you talk about certain things. And that's when, you know, you shout out, like, if we're going to shoot on blue screen, I would tell wardrobe not to wear blue clothes or things like that. And often at those times after the production meeting is when I'd get together with the stunt coordinator or the makeup effects guys crew. And we talk about, okay, would this be best to do as practical or CG? And, and we basically compare like how much it would cost, or it would be a combination of the two where we'd have to take practical a certain way. And then we would augment it. Gotcha. Like there's a, there's the hellhound fight in the school hallway mm -hmm. where Parrish was fighting uh, the other hellhound. Yeah. And that was all practical except where I think one of, I think he throws Parrish up in the air, I think it was. And we like, at some point we took over as the whole hellhound um, just for like, a, you know, one shot or something like that. And that kind of stuff's pretty common. Like, you know, especially if somebody's going to jump off a roof or, 
whatever it might be. Um, we would like kind of figure out the best place to, you know, where it got too dangerous for the stunty to, to do yeah. the work. We have a fan question from jayoung22 on Instagram. She was wondering if you could tell us anything about the abandoned mall scene. Yeah, that place really stunk. <laughs> it was creepy and old, and it really was an abandoned mall. That I, I don't oh. remember where it was. It was somewhere in... Hawthorne. Oh, right, yeah. But it, it smelled like, uh, I don't know, old fish or something? Or <laughs> It was just kind of weird. One of the alphas like plunged down... 30 feet or something. Eric. Yeah. The, um, the mall wasn't that deep. It was just one floor down. So we had to extend that down like three stories or something like that. There's enough room for Charlie and Max. They were up on the second floor and they had to jump down and they jumped into like, I always thought this was funny for stunts. They basically put a whole bunch of cardboard boxes together and that's sort of what breaks their fall. You know, it's not <laughs> like these big airbags you expect and, now, I, guess, I guess that probably happens if it's, you know, going off a 10-story building or something. But for a one-story drop, you're jumping into cardboard. <laughs> Interesting. With mats underneath it, you know, like maybe a foot-thick mat or something like that. But it's cardboard boxes that sort of just break your falls. That is insane to find out. <laughs> yeah. If Teen Wolf were to return in some capacity, be it a spinoff or a reboot, would you be interested in returning to Beacon Hills? Oh, hell yeah. I doubt there's anybody on that crew or cast that wouldn't want to be involved with something like that again. I think it was, it was such a great crew and it was a lot of fun. And, and it was like, you know, I think that comes from, you know, a fish rots from the head down, but also something good happens from the head down as well. And I, I think that goes to just say how great Jeff was on that show and, you know, what a family he created. And it was a lot of fun. You mentioned working with Tyler Posey and Ian Bowen for scenes. Do you have any other fun cast stories you'd like to share? <laughs> I remember when uh, Charlie Carver and Colton came back in the last season, and there's that time where everybody was in the uh, the white plaster kind of costume stuff where everybody yeah. was frozen. And <laughs> I have some pictures of this, but I've never shown anybody because it's very sort of sexual in nature. Charlie <laughs> and Colton were, were making some sexy statue uh, poses, which, uh, you Go know. Go on. I, I, I wouldn't put those out or anything. Like it would be a terrible shame if you misplaced those in my inbox. Um, <laughs> a little risque. Um, I've, got a, I've got a fun shot of Posey. We're at Video Village and the Ghost Riders are doing something and Posey's playing his guitar to like the Ghost Riders, whatever. He's like trying to put music to the Ghost Riders, like motions and stuff. And that was pretty fun. He was, he was really, he's really good. That's awesome. Like, he's a talented yeah. guy. Yeah, everybody was so nice. Sometimes projects like the cast doesn't eat lunch with you. They go in their trailers and eat, eat and stuff. But these, these folks were always really down to earth. It's fantastic. Now we, yeah, we had a lunchroom at the stage that was right on the opposite side of wardrobe. And so you're right. It's like, you just go in there at lunchtime and there's just cast scattered everywhere. And there's monsters sitting and eating and, and <laughs> you know, cameramen and makeup effects guys and the writers and, you know, everyone, people from production. And it's just like, it was one giant room there everybody came and sat in and yeah. had fun for lunch and, and all that. It was always, it was always great. I know I asked about complicated visual effect, but what was your favorite visual effect? It was something with the beast. I think of some of the B stuff. I also, there's one shot I always like too, where Kira, like she, she 
jumps across and she's got her sword and then the the aura of the wolf forms around her i always thought that that one looked kind of cool too that yeah. is my second favorite shot oh, of right. the entire series. It is actually the desktop right there and the oh, desktop nice. right here. Yes, no, that was, that's just such a great shot. It, it's so <laughs> it's just elegant with the aura of the of the Kitsune coming off of her as yeah. she leaps across the classroom. Yeah. So cool. God, y'all did a good job with with that stuff. Yes, uh, and like awesome. the shot where Scott sees her sees the the Kitsune when he's got his Alpha Vision on and it's like pointing. At something, right. and Kira right. doesn't know what's happening, but the thing is communicating with him. It's like, oh, all that stuff is so good. Yeah. So good. You recently worked on a movie that was co-written and co-directed by Tyler Schnabel, who was the stand-in for Tyler Posey on Teen Wolf. How did that come about? Um, he just asked me if we wanted to be involved. <laughs> We've kind of stayed in touch since Teen Wolf, and we're currently doing some shots for Dylan Sprayberry for a project he's doing. Excellent. Oh, awesome. Excellent. Yeah, we kind of like keep in touch and, you know, every now and then they go, hey, I've got this or that. You know, are you interested? I'll always like help out a fellow Teen Wolf buddy if we can. Oh, it's That's amazing awesome. that you guys still collaborate on things outside of yeah. Teen Wolf. We actually, we were working on a show for FX called Legion and we had to yeah, design that. this for the first season. We designed and built this creature that hatches out of an egg and it's this little mutant chicken and it crawls around there's goop and everything and we wanted to do a 3d print of it that we could give to the people on set so they could hold it and put it down where need to be and so i went to eric porn who is one of the makeup effects guys on TV. yeah he had a 3d printer and he's like yeah i'll print those for you so awesome. you know and we've been in touch a couple times over you know like he sometimes he'll text me or write to me and say hey i've got this somebody that's looking to do this and this, are you interested? And so it's sort of this group little thing that, you know, we try to stay in touch if we can. Nice. The yeah. Team Wolf Alumni Association. Yeah. yeah. What was it like working with Jeff? Jeff was great. I, I would say Jeff was probably, if not the best, definitely one of the best showrunners I've worked with. He was, he was collaborative. He'd give us ideas and then kind of stay out of our way and just, you know, come up with something cool or this is what I'm thinking. Can we do this? He was great. It's really great when you let a, when a client wants to work with you during, you know, the process, as opposed to just, here's a bunch of stuff we did and I'll make it look good and post. And we have clients like that, but most of our clients are really collaborative and the earlier we get involved, the better. And, you know, mm -hmm. we, we always were involved very early with Jeff. You have done special effects in both the Marvel and DC universes. So I feel like I have to ask the great question of our age, Marvel or DC? When I was a kid growing up, we had comic books all over our house because my brother Peter always wanted to be a comic book artist. And most of the time we had Mar we were kind of leaning towards Marvel comics. And I think I, I'm like one of the earliest ones that I really got into a Spider-Man because it was just a kid that it was a believable story. And I always thought the Marvel stuff was more believable than like Superman or, you know, Flash or that kind of stuff. So I'm more of a fan, I think, of Marvel just because I grew up on it. And it's funny because my brother actually did become a comic book artist. And most of the stuff he's done has been for DC or Vertigo. So, oh, well. Nice. <laughs> Not changing the answer. So. <laughs> It's hey, so fun, he's... though, that he did become a... a yeah, that's yeah, that's so awesome. cool. Yeah, he's really successful. His, his name's Peter Gross. He did American Jesus with, with Mark Miller. 
I loved American Jesus. It was yeah, very, it was, very it was good. Yeah. And yeah, Pete did the artwork for it. That and is awesome. Actually, he he was part of the Mark Millar sold to uh, a slew of products to Netflix, mm-hmm. and because they are artist artist centric, Pete got in on that too. Yeah. So he's involved in that, and that's actually one of them that they're developing. Supposedly. Awesome. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. Amazing. Well, awesome. Never happens, but uh, yeah. Keep those fingers crossed. Yeah. yeah. Any upcoming projects you can tell us about? We're working on another comic book based thing now called Why the Last Man. <gasps> <laughs> I love that book I so you, much. I you know the story. Well, they've been trying to make that for years and years yeah. and years, yep. and it's finally happening. And it is so good. Oh my yep. God, it's so good. Yeah, it's finally happening. We're on our one, two, three. I think we're on our fifth or sixth episode so awesome. far. They're doing 10 of them. I think it's FX on Hulu. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, it, uh, you know, I can't really talk about much, but it looks good. John, thank you so much for talking oh, yes. to us today. This is absolutely. this has been absolutely wonderful. We had a great time talking to John, but now we have to jump back into some more spoilery goodness. First off, Calissa, what are your thoughts on Allison's assignment from Chris regarding keeping an eye on Lydia? Allison really does a bang-up job keeping an eye on Lydia this season, doesn't she? <laughs> Sarcasm. Yeah, yes, yeah. yes. I, I heard it. Really I heard good it. job. <laughs> I mean, and the thing is, she kind of does a bad job even just as Lydia's friend, not mm-hmm. even just as spy for the hunters. She just isn't that great of a friend to Lydia, which admittedly, Lydia is not that great of a friend to Allison either. So I'm not trying to put it all on Allison, but... Uh, they are all terrible yeah, friends. <laughs> that... She did not do an awesome job at that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. Like, I really like their friendship, but you're right. They're not always like the best of friends to each other. The way Styles and Scott are. You know, I, I do really love Alice and Lydia's friendship, but I just, you know, I just wish everyone had been better to Lydia in season two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Support your I local agree. Lydia. <laughs> <laughs> you know what else we need to walk away from? This idea that uh, women are leaders of hunter families because uh, the footage is not found. I, I realized re-watching this one, though, I had remembered it that it was a hunter thing. But what he actually says is in our family. Oh, oh. right. Also, footage still not <laughs> footage found. Footage still not found. Or it, at least it feels like that was something that the writers decided very late in the season uh, in season one, mm-hmm. because we do see Victoria saying that thing where she comes in, she's like, "Here, have a cookie." Also, cut Derek in half, and no <laughs> one's like, "Why'd your wife just come in here and give us a really scary order?" You know, the, yeah. it's it's like treated like, well, mm-hmm. that's what's happening, I guess. So it it does seem to me like, unfortunately, one of those things where because the writers didn't come up with it until much later in season one, like last couple of episodes season one it just wasn't something that is reflected in most of the season I mean we very much see Chris being the one making decisions particularly when Kate gets there you know that he's saying she she says that thing about uh benching your star player Mm -hmm. which makes him the coach right he's the one in that metaphor making the decisions where if that's a family tradition it would have been understood and well established that Kate's the one who makes those decisions. So 
It, yeah, it's just one of those things that because it was decided later, you look back at the vast majority of season one and you're like, uh, but no, that clearly was not happening. And she's been around since 104. And all through that, you were like, understandably, I mean, knowing Kate, I'm not like, Chris, why would you steamroll her? She makes such rational decisions. But, you know, knowing that that's how the family is supposed to work. And it seems like Chris is very committed to that tradition in their family. You're kind of like, but. Yeah. Her privilege was revoked on that a while ago. <laughs> but by whom? Like. Gerard. Gerard would no, never revoke her privilege. No, that, you're right. That doesn't make sense at all. To be generous. If we wanted to be generous, which I, I think being generous is good, that maybe Kate was groomed for leadership, but she is not a work behind a desk type of person. She's a stabby, stabby, shooty, shooty type of person. <laughs> so um, like, I think she probably was just like, I don't care about that. And maybe it could have fallen to Chris. Mm. You know, I think that's a generous interpretation. I do think what you're saying where it's like, they came up with that idea later in the season and you can't really go back and fix what's already been done type mm-hmm. of thing. The only problem is they don't really use it moving forward right. either. It's like, we have a mantra well, I feel like no they one lives do by. with Allison and Chris. With Allison and Chris, yeah. not so much with Victoria and Chris. Right. Yeah. Right. But with Allison I, and Chris, it, well, it's, I mean, it's a, she does say that she wants to die and she makes him help her. That's true. I feel like if yeah. he was, not that he could necessarily stop her from killing herself, but he didn't have to partake in it. Right. Yeah. I feel like that was like he was like, this is your decision to make. And I have to go along with it. Right. I I agree. I think that is a situation where the show, they didn't want to show them having that conversation. So they skipped to like picking up a knife. And I actually would have liked to be party to that conversation. I would have really liked having her be like, here's what I'm going to do. And you're going to help me. And him being like, I don't want to help you do that. Can we not talk about this? And she's like, uh, what now? Yeah. Who are you saying this to? No, I make the decisions yeah. Like, I agree. It's not like he could stop her, but it doesn't mean he should have to be the one to hold the knife. But I, I feel like the fact that she is the one who makes that decision and can order him to do it, I would have liked to see that moment. Yeah, absolutely. That'd be fun. That'd be fun. That would be fun. I really like, now we don't get it in this episode. We get it a little bit later, but we find out that Erica had a crush on Styles. Oh. And I think that's part of why she's so mean to him in this episode. And I kind of like that because, now I know what you're thinking and you're not wrong, but what I like about it is there is so often a thing where straight guys or guys attracted to girls will kind of act like they're owed attention from girls. You know, like mm-hmm. there's that sense of like, but I'm really nice to you. So, or you're you're making me not feel good about myself. Why do you do that? Or my or, fedora shop. <laughs> or wh- whatever it is. He, he tried that, to that, nod at her at a gas station. She wouldn't nod back, Will. So it's like, you know, the, this sense of like, I'm entitled to that. We don't ever see the reverse of it, except mm-hmm. I feel like we do a little bit here. I feel like that that very Xander heresy and sometimes styles, unfortunately, when he... Mm-hmm 
veers a little bit into Xander Harris territory where it's like that some of the things that he says to Lydia kind of imply that she owes him her attention because he's a quote unquote nice guy and Jackson yeah. sucks, which Jackson does suck, but that's her <laughs> prerogative. So I kind of like the idea though that Erica also kind of has that attitude just because that's something we don't see women doing. And and right. I think of that when I see characters like Xander Harris, I'm like, man, can you imagine if girls were like that towards guys who don't pay them any attention if it was like, oh, I winked at you and then you didn't wink back. Now I want to punch you in the face and leave you in a dumpster. How you like that? <laughs> I kind of yeah. like that they're doing that with her because we're so ingrained to expect it from guys and not from girls that it kind of takes a moment for you to even process that that's what's happening. Yeah. I feel badly for Styles, but I kind of like what happens in, in this episode between them with that context that because Erica goes from powerless to powerful so quickly, we see her showing some of these same kind of entitled behaviors that we typically only see with men. Yeah. yeah I didn't think about that, but you're right. And I do like that. It's very different. Me yeah. too. Matt gets angry about Jackson breaking the camera, even though he's using Jackson as the camera. I mean, just like <laughs> this cracked me up. It, it does. When you go back and watch it, knowing that Jackson is the camera, it's like, wow, Matt, way to be a petty bitch. Right? Like, I, I, yeah, I'm sending you out to murder people, but why'd you crack my lens, you dick? I think this early in the breaking of the season, maybe they didn't know who the master was. Or maybe that concept didn't even exist yet. Because you're right, this scene doesn't make sense when you know that Jackson's a canima and Matt is at this point the master. As I like to say, the canamaster. <laughs> I like that a lot. Thank I you. really like that. Yeah, they, you know, I, so maybe the idea of a canamaster hadn't been broken yet in the season, or they didn't know it was him yet but what, it's would, possible. What, what else would he be introduced for i feel like he doesn't really get to do much else in the yeah. season besides that though. he gets to stalk allison and do that that's enough no no uh if okay well then if they if they did know that he was the canna master then i'm like what's the scene for? like the scene is he's a, just a petty bitch I think yeah i think he i think bitch. it actually fits that he's just a petty bitch i think it's just funny like okay. he's so self-centered that he's like yeah i'm using you to be the canima i'm getting my revenge i'm enjoying it but you cracked my camera lens yeah okay so we talked about derek choosing betas whose lives would be improved once they became werewolves but did all of the betas need to become werewolves to have better lives well isaac might have been better off just with jackson being bitten because all he really needed was his father out of his life and the canima takes care of that. No, you're right. I mean, you're right. If if Jackson or if Isaac had done nothing, his dad still would have died. Yeah, it seemed to me like it was cathartic for him to be able to stand back up and mm -hmm. like see his dad's yeah. scared face when his uh, when his cut healed. Yeah, it no. seemed like he was kind of like, yeah, f you like, you know, That's because he, did, he didn't have that before he was if he got hurt, he got hurt. And that clearly did happen. It seemed to me like he got some degree of empowerment from that. Yeah. Do you think that Isaac as the first beta gave Derek suggestions as to who else he should offer the bite to? I love that headcanon. Oh, my God. I think that's a cool idea. That's a very I, cool idea. I didn't really think about how Derek came across Erica and Boyd, but I kind of really like that because it did seem like he he discovered Isaac because he could, he like used his wolfy sense, senses and figured out that something was wrong, which couldn't have been that hard to do right. because Isaac had 
like black eyes and stuff. Right. So yeah, I kind of like that idea that that's how he chose Isaac. And then he was like, who else needs it? Because I still, because I'm such a, a Derek apologist, I still very much believe that although Derek goes about being an alpha the wrong way and makes a lot of mistakes this season, I do think that he's choosing them based on who offers the greatest strategic advantage to him as the alpha. Yeah. Because if that's what he was looking for, I don't think he would have chosen those three people. No. Right. And I feel like there are a lot of people who are are like Jackson, who'd be like, yeah, I'll sign up for that. I mean, there are hunters. Fine. Yeah. There's always going to be someone who doesn't like you, but I'll have badass supernatural skills. So who cares? I'll take it. I feel like there are plenty of people who really would feel that way, but I feel like Derek wants to offer it to people who need it. And I feel like the reason they're teenagers, besides the fact that this is Teen Wolf, is because Derek is kind of stuck in his teenage years. Arrested development. Yeah. I said previously. There's this like, there's this vulnerability about teenagers and he wants to give them a way out of that vulnerability. Yeah. I have like a really sad headcan that I'm developing like right now that you know you're saying like it would have been that hard for him to like sense that something was wrong with Isaac Mm -hmm. but he found Isaac in the graveyard whenever Isaac was working there Mm -hmm. seems to be the first place that he saw him so like I wonder if the rest of the Hale family's there or they're buried on the Hale property so I wonder if he was either there visiting them or maybe he was there visiting Kate's grave the Hales weren't buried they were cremated Oh no! Wow, Will, just go see in the corner. No. You deserve that. Time out, Will. Time out. You wow. go think. About, you go sit and think about what you've said. And when you're ready to apologize, you can rejoin the podcast. I'm proud of that one. That one was good. Visiting Kate's grave, I think, is very interesting and sad, but super yeah. interesting. I. Definitely around the Hale family, my head can shut up. Will still cracking up over there. My head cannon around yourself, sir. Seriously, my head cannon around the Hale family is that Derek would make sure they were all on the Hale property, and that's what werewolves would do. That not not even so much because it's their property in like a human sense, but because it's their territory in a wolf sense. So it's like a sign of respect to a pack member. That you keep them there so so they're always with the rest of the pack. That's what I think too. So I feel like that means then he was visiting Kate's grave. To spit on it. To pee on it. Why do you do this? <laughs> well, you just said to spit on it. Yeah, I spit on your grave. It's a thing. Yeah, and peeing on graves is a thing too. That has five sequels. I think not. Is it? Well, you can piss on someone's grave, yeah. Yeah, I mean. Okay. Yeah. But I feel like he'd go there trying to get closure because he wasn't the one who got to kill her oh yeah unfortunately though you know i feel like he would have wanted to see the body but then we find out there wasn't a body because there yeah but i feel like he would have went there trying to get closure because i feel like he wanted to be the one to kill her but Mm -hmm. peter did it and so Mm -hmm. he just wants to be like is she really gone from my life you know because he spent so long being so angry about what happened and not being able to like actually get revenge for his Mm -hmm. family Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. i mean she truly was the monster of his nightmares the monster under his bed i'm sure she 
definitely like haunted his dreams of like all these terrible moments and just like you know her being so charming and laughing about it and everything and if you go with on fire kind of you know giving him the ring back leaving it there at the burnt down house it's leaving just like yeah. the ashes yeah horrible yeah. so i feel like yeah he wanted to like go there and be like is she really gone am i finally free of her as much yeah. as i can be and then while there he saw isaac yeah he heard the collapse of the and then he stopped what he was doing and was like, Zoop. I'm going to go. Oh, my. You're the he worst. ruins everything. Men ruin, ruin everything. everything. We do. You we really do. do. I'm sorry. We do. Anyway, continue, anyway, Kate. Please continue. I'm sorry. And in true Derek fashion, stopped what he was doing and was like, this kid needs my help. I'm going to go make him into a werewolf. And then he's going to be my werewolf brother. And he's going to be so happy because he won't be scared and upset anymore everything's gonna be awesome yeah when y'all just mentioned kate's you know the the grave Mm -hmm. i was thinking well because you're all like but she's not there do you think gerard knew that she was gone because like could he have discovered that and then was like we're not doing a viewing no one's gonna see my baby girl like that and seal the casket he, he was late though it seemed like to us like to everyone, he, like he, he was, was intent- well, he was intentionally late. Like he, you know, like made it seem like he was late when he was actually there the actually whole time got there earlier and discovered that she wasn't there. So, he but could, like I feel like if he was the one dictating the viewing, it, well, he could have like called ahead or something and been like, no viewing, no this, no that. I don't know. I'm just trying to say because you're right. There's no body in there. I did. I did wonder about that. Somebody had to know there was no body in there. Yes, yeah, someone has to know. There's someone nothing has in to that know. Casket. And, and it, we know it's not Chris and it's not Allison. It can't they don't be Victoria because she's. Uh, that would not make sense. Because she's such sense. a zealot that she's like, oh, I'm bit. I'm gonna kill myself. She's like, oh, okay, got bit. Gotta murder that bitch. Gotta murder her. Yeah. You know. So I, I feel like I feel I like. I guess we have to just. We don't know at what point like they took the undead body, mm-hmm. like. Because it's the Calaveras, right? The Calaveras. Did they already know they weren't going to do a viewing? Did maybe Chris already say? I would. hmm. Or like her throat was ripped out. Like maybe they can cover that up to some degree. But like. With a scarf from the scarf store. I think I think it would make sense that Chris would have just made that decision, not even knowing anything else about her not being in there but that he would just be like we're not doing a viewing that's not happening i think that could definitely be a thing i'm not a fan of the coincidence value that goes into that so my personal headcanon that i just thought of is that the calaveras take her but one of the henchmen one of the 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 argent henchmen discovers kate's gone and calls gerard because he's like the well he's like one of gerard's guys he's like just be there let me know shit that's happening and calls gerard and then gerard calls chris and is like no viewing that's not happening no that see my like baby girl. so much more complicated than the it, coincidence it, it is because it is. i mean why wouldn't like because kate is held by them in like you know that cell in mm-hmm. mexico yeah and everything i don't think if Gerard knew about it, I don't think he'd let her just sit there and rot at the hands of the else. I don't think else. he knows. I don't, no, 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 I don't think he knows anything about the Calaveras. I think what he knows is it's just that her body's it, gone. The body's gone. And that the only, and the first thing he would think, and I think the first thing you think anyone would think would be like, she turned. That what, what else? No one's going to think like a rival hunter clan took her or something. 
you know, that he's going to think she turned that that's what happened. And nobody can know about this. So he's like, henchman, uh, kill someone, put the body in the casket, seal it. I'm calling Chris and tell him that there's no viewing. The casket's sealed. We're burying her. You know, I mean, yes, it's a I lot mean, of steps. Or but what if it's... what if we just assume that Gerard's not involved, but the Calaveras put a body in there? I mean, I think that like the problem isn't like, I'm sure they found a body or would have paid someone off to put a body in there. The problem right. is like have to know for sure that there's no viewing. Yeah, I mean, like there's no reason for anyone not to open the cat, especially Gerard. Well, I mean, Gerard- but- is. But but maybe they maybe they the way they got away with it was basically like the, the way the Argents replace the uh, the principal and just basically put someone in the morgue and have that person be like there's no way you can do a viewing like I tried mm-hmm. like you know I I there's tried no scarf to big enough <laughs> like he almost took her head off there's yeah. nothing I can do so I'm just gonna go ahead and seal the casket with your permission. And if they didn't get their permission, they would have like contingency plans. But I'm sure they were like, yeah, I don't want to see her like that. I, I think that's cool. And the morgue person is a Calavera who's yeah. in Beacon Hills to keep an eye on Argent stuff or well, hail right. stuff. He's like, this is it's Beacon Hills. Shit gets weird here. So it's like, dude, we're going to have Beacon someone Hills. there. Yeah, dude, it's Beacon Hills. So we're going to have someone there. And then he's the one who discovers that she ain't dead. So he calls up. And then they call, Calaveras come and he's like, we can't, you can't do it. I'm so sorry, man. It's like her head's practically off. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, okay, no viewing, seal the casket. Right. Yeah, I like that a lot better. I don't like the idea of Gerard being involved at all. Yeah, much better, much cleaner, yeah. much cleaner. You all should be writers or something. Oh my I God, mean, right? Yeah, I'll be pretty good at this. <laughs> that concludes this week's episode of Return to Beacon Hills. We hope you had as much fun listening as we did talking about all things Teen Wolf. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RTBH Podcast and Tumblr and TikTok at Return to Beacon Hills. If you'd like to ask us questions or offer suggestions for future topics to discuss, you can email us at returntobeaconhills at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon at RTBH Podcast. Join us here next week when we discuss Season 2, Episode 4, Abomination, one of my favorite episodes. Why is that, Kate? (laughs) Good question, right? Don't have to find out. Yeah. Rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast goodness. Five-star reviews get a shout-out. Have a great week, and we'll see you again soon on Return to Beacon Hills. Dude, it's Beacon Hills.